The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Hello again. Um, so tonight we then turn to the book of Philippians in chapter 2. But first of all, let's go ahead and pray. So, Father, um, we just thank you so much that you um, that you look after us and that you guide us, Lord. And we thank you for this church and we thank you for Pastor. And of course, we do have in our prayers uh, Pam. And Lord, we just pray that this message tonight will be a blessing to everybody and that um, your will will be accomplished and your name would be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. So anyway, um, my text verses are chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, but I want to start with verse 1 just to get the context. So can everyone stand uh, for the reading of the word? Um, Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem each other better than ourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but but every man also on the things of others." And then my text verses. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant that was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue shall, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Please be seated. So Paul in this portion of scripture is talking how we are to follow the second great commandment, course that is to love our neighbor as ourselves and not to put ourselves above others um, again verses three and four let nothing be done through straining strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem each other better than ourselves um, look not every man on his own things but also every man onto the things of others and so it's with this mindset that we start the next verse or the end to the text verses So let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's verse 5. So he wants us to humble ourselves and serve the needs of others, and um, that, you know, we're not to just um, think of ourselves at all times. I know that me first is always something that all of us fight. You know, we always think of numero uno. But, um, you know, we're to actually um, look to the needs of others, even before ourselves, to uh, to uh, esteem each other better than ourselves, which, of course, is what verse 3 says. So um, if we have the heart of for others, 
and not just thinking about ourselves, you know, that's, you know, gives us um, humbleness and, you know, we're to, uh, you know, be servants of others and just to, you know, be willing to help out. So, um, and of course, you know, when we get into this, uh, the message or the scriptures, he wants, um, then the, the next message, I'm sorry, the next verses are how Jesus himself stepped down to provide a means for us to receive redemption and forgiveness of sin and the wrath of God the Father, receiving Christ's imputed righteousness and eternal life. So, um, basically, you know, it's showing how Jesus himself is, you know, becoming a servant, and we're kind of to have that same attitude, to be willing to be a servant. So, first of all, I want to show how Jesus is equal to the Father. So the first item is going to be equal, which is equal to Christ's deity. So, verse 6, who being in the form of God thought it was not robbery to be equal with God. So let's break this verse down. Uh, The verse says here that Jesus was in the form of God. Now this does not mean that God created Jesus. Um, Jesus was not a created being by any means. He was eternal. But here it refers to having the same essence, the same substance, and that they are the same. They have the same attributes of, you know, among them omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotence. You know, basically, um, all the characteristics that we think of God the Father are also held in God the Son, Jesus Christ. So, and of course, they were together at the creation. So, um, Going to um, Genesis uh, chapter, please, chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So you'll notice how it says, Let us make man after our image, after our likeness. And so it's referring to um, the plural, the Godhead, the three persons of the Godhead. In fact, the Hebrew word for God here is Elohim, and that is a plural word, plural name. So, um, so you know, so when it talks about uh, Jesus Christ, he was there at, at the creation. Um, you know, um, he, is, he is God. And um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9 and to make all men see that, that what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is from the beginning of the world, has been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Again, it is talking about Jesus Christ being in the, for the, from the very beginning. And then also, not only uh, was Christ there at the beginning, but another part where it, talks, it shows all three people of the Godhead is uh, the baptism of Jesus. This is Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened up unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lightning upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So it is an example where, again, it talks, you know, shows all three people and, um, you know, describes Jesus as being a part of the Godhead. And then, of course, um, 
You know, the Great Commission refers to all three persons of the Godhead. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then, of course, so as we continue, there is, um, of course, multiple verses that talk about, you know, Christ, uh, the deity of Jesus Christ and the uh, powers and that he has, uh, the authority he has. Um, there's a couple, couple more here I'm going to point out. Uh, in fact, actually, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3, um, and we'll read uh, verses 17 to 21. So Ephesians chapter 3. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and ye be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is of the breadth and the length and the depth of the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, and that ye may be filled with the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ through all ages, world without end. Amen. Okay, and then another uh, passage is Colossians 1, verses 15 to 19. Who in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him are all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is and he is before all things, and by all him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. So again this speaks of Jesus as being, you know, God. Um, the image of the invisible God. Again, this is kind of like the form the the visible form. Jesus Christ is the incarnate form of the invisible God, you know. Of course, we know that God is a spirit. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. Jesus Christ started off as a spirit, but of course, when he came to earth, he took the, you know, the uh, form of a man. And of course, now it says that even, you know, after he was resurrected and, you know, ascended to heaven, that he still has the form of a man. Of course, he's a glorified body, but, you know, he does have a body. So next we want to look at uh, the second part of verse 6. Again, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So we want to see here that Paul is stating that Jesus is not robbing any glory from the Father and states that he himself is God. And, of course, uh, anyone who claims to be God who isn't would be creating the grave sin of violating the first commandment if false. So, of course, we know the first uh, commandment uh, of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. So, um, of course, the Jews, you know, they tend, you know, they tend to think that Jesus is not God and that, you know, Jesus claiming to be God is a violation of this, but for those of us who know Jesus is God himself, that there is a Godhead, three persons, you know, it's not in violation, but any, but you also, well, 
the thing about the Jews is that they have, and the uh, Christians is that we have three gods, or I'm sorry, three persons in the Godhead. And of course, that's a very uncom- uncommon um, idea among the ancient peoples. You know, they had many gods, but if you, I don't know if you've ever read, read the myths and stuff like that of the Greeks and the Romans, but their gods always fought with one another. There was no agreement. So the idea that there could be three persons of the Godhead that are in perfect harmony, perfect agreement, you know, just seems foreign to, to them. Okay, and then, of course, um, Jesus um, either states or implies he's a God, multiple um, verses to state this. Um, so here are a few. So Jesus claims he has the power to forgive sins, something that only God can do. Matthew 9, 6. But ye may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And he is greater than the commandments set down by Moses. So Matthew twelve eight, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. So this was, uh, you know, considering when, uh, you know, Jesus and his disciples came and they, you know, ate of the... Uh, of the wheat in the field on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees were all up in arms because apparently they were violating the Sabbath. And, of course, this is saying that the Son of Man um, is the Lord of the Sabbath and that the um, Sabbath is made for the, the people and not the, um, and that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. So, um, also, uh, Jesus allows people to worship him, something that the angels would not allow for themselves. So Matthew 8, uh, verse 2. And behold, there became a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou will, can thou make it clean, make me clean. And then Matthew twenty-eight seventeen, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And the thing is, of course, uh, Jesus being God will allow people to worship. Um, but any time that an angel appeared that was not, you know, a... Um, pre-incarnated version of Christ, you know, if any time someone tried to worship an angel, the angels would forbid it. So that was one of the ways of knowing in the Bible who is a, um, a Christophany and which is just a regular angel. Of course, saying regular angel, but only in the aspect of <laughs> that sometimes Christ is referred to an angel. But um, And then, um, again, Christ is eternal. Um, in Revelation 1.8, of course, this is... Uh, you know, after Christ ascended, um, he states that, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Okay, and he described himself as the Christ, the Messiah. And so Matthew sixteen sixteen seventeen, And Simon Peter answered and asked, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And then also, um, again, when he was asked if he was Christ, in Matthew 26, uh, verses 63 and 64, and this is when uh, Jesus was um, you know, captured uh, after the um, Garden of Gethsemane, and he's appearing before the high priest, 
But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. And, of course, if you continue to read those verses, uh, the uh, Pharisees and the chief priests were outraged because basically this is Jesus stating that he is the Messiah. He is God. And, of course, the Pharisees thought that he was committing blasphemy by stating that, which it's only blasphemy if it's not true. But, <laughs> but since Jesus is God, he is the Messiah, you know, then it's, it's truth. It's not blasphemy. In Exodus, God states that his name is Jehovah. So in Exodus 3, 14, uh, God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shall thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. So in Exodus, God says his name is Jehovah. And then in the book of John, Jesus states that he is Jehovah. Um, so John verses eight, or chapter 8, verses 58 and Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Which is directly reporting back to, uh, you know, what, what God said um, it, to Moses in Exodus. And then, um, as, and then again in John chapter 18, verses 5 and 6, this is where the uh, soldiers are arresting Jesus in the garden. They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto him, I am he, when they asked if he was Jesus. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with him. As soon as he had said unto him, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. So that was a very powerful I am. And again, it refers back to the um, you know, word um, I am, which Jehovah literally means you know, I am. That's his name. And then simply... Um, you know, Jesus um, in John verse, or chapter 10, verse 30 says, I and my Father are one. Again, clear as day, when he says we're one, he's basically saying that, you know, the Father and myself are equal, we're the same. So, of course, that speaks of Jesus being um, um, God and um, being equal to God in Christ's deity. So next we want to go to the next verses, and this is, I refer to it emptied, which is Christ's humanity. So the next verse is, it says, but made himself of no reputation, oh, I'm back in um, Philippians, but took upon him the form of a servant and made in the likeness of man. So this, so this is a huge, actually a very huge step down for Jesus to go from, um, you know, being equal to God, you know, on the right hand of the Father to... Um, making himself of no reputation, and becoming man. So I, I describe it as a huge step down. It's not just like stepping down from his throne, you know, because you kind of think in a throne room where the throne's up here and you just kind of get up your throne and kind of walk off and down to the floor. Now, this is probably more like stepping off the ledge of the, at the Grand Canyon. It's a huge drop. So, so in fact... Uh, that's the problem of many people, you know, when you see these people that says, oh, you know, God is my co-pilot, or Jesus is my co-pilot, or, um, you know, we're, you know, Jesus is the man upstairs. He's my buddy. Well, you know, if you 
truly understand who God is and who Jesus is, you know, you're not going to um, refer to God like that. So, um, again, um, he made himself of no reputation. He set aside all of his glory. He cloaked himself in his light, a light he had when he appeared to Moses. So in Exodus 3, chapters, or cha- Exodus 3 verses 2 through 6, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and this is a case where it is a Christophany, uh, in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the birth bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place that thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And then he appeared to to James, or Peter, James, and John, uh, the Transfiguration, Matthew 17, verses 1 and 2. And after six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up in a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. So Jesus came as a man, but of course he still had the um, attributes of God. Um, you know, he's... He did not set aside his intrinsic um, attributes. So, but, you know, he could have come as, as a king. Um, but he came as a servant, and one who serves, not one who is served. I mean, you would think that, you know, in our, in our own minds, that if, you know, Jesus was going to, if Jesus was the Messiah, that when he would come to earth, he would, you know, come and be a king and rule. And, of course, he will someday, but not the first time. Um, he, so he came as a simple man, um, and of course the next he was made in the likeness of man. Um, so, so we we want to ask, you know, um, why did God? Why did Jesus need to come to Earth as a man? Um, of course, we know know the reason why he did is because he came to, um, you know, pay the penalty of sin that we incurred. Uh, to live the perfect life and to take our sins upon him and to die on the cross. But, um, but we think, well, why did, he, why did they do that plan? So, um, so of course, in the Old Testament, um, to um, uh, take away the sins, you know, the whole Jewish system, the whole um, Israelites, they, you know, they had their system of sacrifices, but, you know, this would not work. So lambs, goats, bullocks, doves from the sacrifices could not substitute for man. So all of the animals that were sacrificed in the Old Testament were just a picture of what um, God, you know, God would do because uh, we know that the penalty of sin is death. So to, you know, provide remission of sins, uh, somebody had to die. So, um, of course, so in the Old Testament, they used, you know, animals. But, you know, that, that's only a picture. That doesn't really solve the problem. So it had to be a man who dies in order to redeem men 
of their sin and to pay the price of sin. So you think, well, like, uh, you know, would any man just work? Well, no, because um, if any man would have done, the perfect opportunity to, you know, sacrifice a man for, you know, God, the sin would have been when um, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac as an offering. You know, he took him up on the mountain and was ready, to, you know, lifted up the knife and was ready to plunge it into him. But God stopped him. And, you know, he could have, he could have let it go through and, you know, been a sacrifice. But, of course, Isaac, being an inhuman or an imperfect human, you know, sin was, was not acceptable. So the uh, man must be perfect uh, without sin. Otherwise, you know, it's not a, um, it's not a, a, a sacrifice that God would accept. Of course, you know, going back even with the animals and the sacrifices, they had to be without blemish, without spot. They had to be, you know, visually perfect in all ways. So then you think, well, um, why didn't God just create a Adam point two, 2.0? He could have done that. <laughs> you know, it's like he created a perfect Adam before. Why don't he just do it again? Um, so the reason why this would not work actually is in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. So if we want to turn to Genesis 3, chapter 17 to 19. So this is God speaking. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and in sorrow thou shalt eat it all of the days of, our, of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shalt thou, shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For... Out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shall thou return. So here it says that the uh, ground is cursed. So when man fell, not only was man cursed, but it says that all creation was cursed, the very ground that we stand on. So, so whereas Adam was created, you know, from the clay in a perfect, you know, undefiled earth, um, the earth has since been cursed. So... God could not create an Adam point 2.0 out of the ground because the ground is now cursed. So that eliminates that option. So basically, you know, that leaves that God himself would have to come to, to earth and he would need to be the sacrifice in order to meet the requirements. It has to be someone who's um, a man without sin perfect in every way and also uh, to if, you know and understand the theology you know not only is it Christ uh, took our sins and you know the propitiation of the sins but he also um, imputed his righteousness and that took 33 years and I think people don't really understand why you know it took you know, God was born as a, as a baby and then had to grow up, you know, and then was sacrificed on the cross. Well, it took 33 years of him living a perfect, righteous life in order to impute the righteousness that we all have 
and when we receive Christ as Savior. So it's a two-part thing. Christ took away our sins, and he also gave us the righteousness through his, his life. So now I go, we turn to verse 8 of Philippians. So verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So again, um, not only did Jesus come to earth as human, but as a lowly human, again, not a, not a king, but he came poor. So, uh, you know, Joseph and Mary were certainly not very rich. I mean, you know, Joseph was a carpenter. Um, you know, he took, a, took this young wife, but, you know, they were basically very poor. Nazareth was not a very prosperous city. It was a very uh, low, kind of a low-income type um, town. And then, um, you know, when he was born, in fact, you know, through this, because of the census that Caesar Augustus declared, you know, they had to travel to Bethlehem. But uh, when he got there, you know, they didn't even have room at the inn. So, you know, it's not like nowadays where, you know, there's um, hotels and motels all over the place, you know, that you can travel. Uh, they got there, uh, no place. So basically, they were kind of homeless in a way. So what happens? Jesus is born. He's actually born in a manger. Now, a manger is a uh, feeding trough for, like, cattle and stuff like that, if you didn't know what a manger was. So God, Jesus was born in a feeding trough. So certainly not an aspect, auspicious beginning for, you know, uh, the king, <laughs> the Messiah. But, you know, God didn't intend to come to earth the first time as a king. He became, he became the first time as a lamb in order to... Um, you know, live the perfect life, and again, to uh, go to the cross. So, um, and again, he was homeless. So, it describes in Luke ch chapter 9, verse 58, And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So, Jesus basically spent his life, especially as he, you know, grew up and became an adult, uh, teaching and healing and traveling around with his disciples. I mean, he did not. He did not have a home base, you know, a place that of, of his own. He did not have. There was no Jesus's house where he, um, you know, lived in his adult. And so Jesus came, and of course Jesus came and died for our sins. Uh, the last part, uh, and became obedient unto death. So, uh, Matthew twenty-six. Uh, chapter 26, verses 27 to 29. And he took with him Peter and his two sons at Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very he heavy. And thus he saith to him, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So, Jesus was perfectly willing to go to the cross. I mean, this was the will of his father, and he was perfectly willing to do the will of the father. That's why he came. That's just, again, that's his whole purpose in life was to uh, be the sacrifice um, for sin for mankind of those who believe in him. And again, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 uh, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. Second uh, Corinthians 5.21, um, um, Brother Dalton references verse this morning. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then the death on the cross. He became found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so the lowest, this is the lowest that one could go. So, um, you know, it went from, Jesus went from being on high, being equal with the Father, you know, before the incarnation. It says that he ended up going all the way down to being crucified. He was not born rich. He was not born in a palace. He lived his life very poor. And then what turned, and then because of the false claims, you know, against him, he ends up um, dying a criminal's death. Because crucifixion is was reserved for criminals. It was the Roman um, means of execution for those that are criminals. So, um, you know, crucifixion, I'm sure you guys pretty much know what it is, but, but again, it is, you know, it's what they did when they, you know, they nailed your hands and your feet to a cross. Uh, basically, what would happen is that, you know, they hung there and... They could hang there for days, and what, eventually what would kill them was the, um, they would suffocate because it got to the point where they just couldn't breathe because of hanging. They just, you know, they couldn't lift themselves up in order to uh, capture air, and they would suffocate. And of course, while they were up there, you know, the soldiers would, you know, they would beat them. Uh, of course, it says, you know, in the case of Jesus, after he died, they, you know, plunged his side with a spear. Um, of course, you know, in Jesus, they, you know, you know, beat him with a cat of iron, cat of nine tails, you know, on his back. They put a th- crown of thorns on his head, you know, sh- shoved it down him and thorns. I've had like one rose thorn on me. You know, I can't, I can't even imagine a whole crown of them being slammed on your head. So just the, they plucked his uh, beard. I mean, all sorts of cruelty and so... And of course, Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. He did not, you know, he did not do anything to resist this. Um, in fact, it states, you know, in Matthew uh, twenty-six, verse fifty-three, "Thinkest now that I cannot pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels." So, you know, Jesus Christ was not doing anything against His will. If He had wanted to, again, He could have called for twelve legions of angels and delivered Him from this. But, you know, He perfectly was doing the will of His Father. And this was the will of his father that he should die um, on on the cross. And and again, um, you know, he wanted to. Um, he came to minister to people. Uh, Mark ver- chapter ten, verse forty-five. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. In John ten seventeen, therefore does my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. So Jesus again died on the cross as one who had no sin, became sin for us and paid the penalty of death for us. And so because of this, he became exalted in heaven by the father. So finally, my third point is exalted. And this is Christ's supremacy. So... So verse nine, verse 
uh, Philippians. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so the Father gave the Son the authority of judgment, and we will all stand before Christ to be judged. So, um, and this is described in Revelations uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. In fact, why don't we turn to, return to that? Revelation uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah... The root of David has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and of the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth to all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So um, basically, you know, the this is talking about the beginning of the tribulation period. And, you know, Jesus is in heaven. And it describes, you know, that Jesus is the one who um, unseals the seals and has the authority to do so because he is the, um, you know, found worthy. And he's the only one, it says, on heaven or on earth that's able to do this. In Revelation 5 and then verses 12 through 13, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb, oh, these are the um, martyred uh, saints, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such that are in the sea, all that are in him heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be upon him that sitteth upon the throne and under to the Lamb forever and ever. So, so we are, you know, going to be judged by Christ. Now, of course, there's going to be one of two judgments. Uh, one of them is the judgment seat of Christ, and the other one is the white throne judgment. So the judgment seat of Christ is for those that are believers, and they're going to be judged for rewards. Uh, those of us that are trust, trusting Christ will have no condemnation put upon us because we are... Um, in Christ, but the judgment that will come in the judgment seat of Christ will be what kind of rewards there are. Kind of the level of happiness we will have in heaven. Um, all of those that are in this judgment will go to heaven, and, the, and basically it's a judgment of the deeds we have done, um, just how, how much they were done, uh, whether, you know, whether they be tried by fire for gold or straw, those that are in gold you know, are rewarded. Those that are straw are burnt up, but again, it is a reward of, it is a judgment for rewards. Now, of course, if it's a white throne judgment, which you do not want to be part of, that is a judgment of the unsaved, 
and the judgment in that is guilty. You are not going to heaven. You are going to hell. You are to suffer the punishment. God did not die on the cross for you. Your sins are not forgiven. Do not pass go. <laughs> but you do not go to jail. You go to hell. <laughs> so, um, Romans 14.10, But why didst thou judge thy brother? For why didst thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In this case, it's talking about um, brother. So this was saved people. Okay, and then again, also talking about the judgment seat of Christ, Second uh, Corinthians five ten, for we must, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. And then Revelation twenty verses four through six, um, again at the, at the judgment seat. I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither has received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So these uh, people are uh, part of what is uh, verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death have no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the judgment seat of Christ actually happens between the seven years of tribulation and going into the thousand-year millennial kingdom. Now the second uh, judgment is the the white throne judgment, and this actually happens a thousand years later, um, after the millennial kingdom. And this is described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into a lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, so we are all going to stand before Christ in one of the two judgments. And we are to bow to him and confess to him. Now the question is, do you do it willingly as a child of Christ? Uh, or as, uh, saved by Christ, or will you do it by force at the white throne judgment where you do it against your will? Um, again, uh, Philippians chapter 10, and at the name of Jesus, every knee, shall, every knee shall bow and things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, of course, we are to profess... Uh, there will be, um, if you profess to be a believer, you'll be part of the first res- resurrection. But if there are any that have not come to Christ and as Lord and Savior, you will be part of the second resurrection. And you will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but it'll be too late for you. You have to do that while you're still alive on this earth. But you can't wait until, you know, the white throne judgment and then, you know, say, oh, well, you know, I. 
I believe in you now. You're, you're standing here. You're sitting here in front of me on this big white throne. That's too late. <laughs> so, of course, in closing, Jesus is and always has been God, and he loved us so that he came to live his life as a man to take our punishment so that we might have eternal life. This, of course, this is John three sixteen. And we, but we must put our trust in him and receive him as Lord and Savior if we hope to see eternity in heaven. So, so I thank you for giving me this opportunity to preach tonight. Uh, thank Pastor especially. And I hope that what I um, you know, said tonight has been a blessing to you. So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for uh, the opportunity to preach your word. Uh, we just thank you for... Um, any time that your word is, is, is preached. And Lord, I just pray that um, everything that taught tonight would be a blessing to, to the members and that it would be um, a blessing to you. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707 704-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church 6298 Country Club Drive Ronert Park, California 94928 Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org